prosperity gospel, because it has really taken root. The prosperity gospel is a message that really takes root with those who are impoverished because it's saying that God, God created you just, not just for salvation, but he, but he wants you to be rich and, and, and well-to-do and, and healthy. And matter of fact, uh, when you are healthy, that's, that's a sign of God's blessing upon your life. Uh, the prosperity gospel is, is defined as is a perversion of the gospel of Jesus that claims that God's rewards increases in faith, with, which increases in health and or wealth. In the forefront of this doctrine of the assurance of divine physical health and prosperity through faith, in short, this means that health and wealth are the automatic divine right of all Bible-believing Christians and may be procreated by faith as part of the package of salvation— since the atonement of Christ includes not just the removal of sin, but also the removal of sickness and poverty. The central message to the prosperity gospel is, if you only had enough faith, then everything would be all right. That if you were able to muster up enough faith, you, you'll have a healthy life, you'll have uh, uh, healthy children, and that you, you, you'll have no want or no need, you'll have everything you need. But for Bible-believing Christians, we know that's not the case because Abraham couldn't trust in the prosperity gospel. Joseph, sure enough, couldn't trust in a prosperity gospel. Job could not trust in a prosperity gospel. But we have a gospel that's not centered around us and what we receive and our benefits. We have a gospel centered around the personal work of Jesus Christ. That's why... Our gospel stands the test of time because you're going to have money in your bank account sometimes and sometimes you're not going to have money in your bank account. There's some months that you're going to be feeling just fine and there's going to be months and seasons where you're in the hospital. And when, when everything else is going up and down, the fact remains that only Jesus Christ remains yesterday, today, and forevermore. I had the privilege of teaching a plenary session on what the Bible says about money. And I was able to address a little bit of this prosperity gospel. I, I just want to uh, share some of that with you this morning as we look in God's word. And, and, and actually, I, I really believe, and it has been shown that America, we're quick to point out the problems in Africa with the prosperity gospel. But beloved, don't you know that we're the greatest exporter of this false gospel? We, we continue to propagate and perpetuate an understanding of Christianity that, that if God is just a genie in a bottle there for you to fix all of your problems and you really don't have to obey him. In my discussion there, I took a lot of material from, from three primary sources. Uh, Craig Blomberg, his book, Neither Poverty Nor Riches, A Biblical the uh, Theology of Material Possessions. The Gospel Coalition had put together a work entitled Prosperity, Seeking the True Gospel. And Jones and Woodbridge has a book entitled Health, Wealth, and Happiness, how the prosperity gospel overshadows the gospel of Christ. So I use a, a, a lot of their uh, uh, material to leverage 
as I prepared this work. But, but this morning, we'll be looking at various scriptures as we uh, have a more, a more topical in nature. But I do want us to be rooted in a particular passage. So if you would, open up your Bibles in the Old Testament to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, the 30th chapter. Proverbs, the 30th chapter. And primarily, I want us to look at verses 7 through 9. Proverbs, the 30th chapter, seven th- uh, verses 7 through 9. If you, if you are able to, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Proverbs, the 30th chapter, verses 7 through 9. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And it reads, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. What does the Bible say about money? Let us pray. Father, you are good and you are great. And we come acknowledging what you have already declared in your word and what we read that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Lord, you are good and you give good things. And we're so grateful and thankful. Lord, you gave us a brand new day, the opportunity to come and worship. Father, you gave us protection and provision throughout this entire week. Lord, we didn't make it on our own. We only made it this week because you were with us. We only made it this week because you kept us. We only made it this week because it was you who put food on our table and it was you who put clothes on our back and it was you who allowed us to go to a job. And Lord, it was because of you that we woke up with, with in our right minds with a decent amount of health today. Lord, it was because of you superintending uh, uh, our lives, Lord, that we were able to come once again to the house of worship to lift up holy hands, to acknowledge your preeminence, to acknowledge your, your power and your authority, dear God. So, Father, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us a posture of praise. You give us a posture of humility. That we will come lowly before you right now, acknowledging your work, acknowledging your supremacy and your authority. But also acknowledging your love for us and how you do supply all of our needs. So, Father, right now, I ask that you would speak to us through your word. Give us an understanding and and, and further insight on, 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 on your heart towards material possessions. Father, we idolize money. We chase money. We, we, we change up all, uh, our entire lives to, to chase money. But Father, I ask that you would give us a, a new, unwavering, and unfettered confidence in you, in you alone. May we not worship the creation, but truly help us to worship the creator today. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. You know, I remember being young and being asked the question, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, just like every other kid, 
I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I want to sound smart like I know what I'll be when I grow up. So I began to tell people that I, I wanted to be an electri uh, uh, electrical engineer. I thought it sounded fancy, and I thought it would be impressive. But at that time, I thought just being, I wanted to be an electrical engineer because I thought they would make a whole lot of money. I don't know about you, have, have, growing up, when people asked you what did you want to be, what were some of the things you thought about? Uh, does that match what you uh, are doing right now? But, but, but a lot of times growing up, we, we have this idea that we just want to follow the money. More money, more money, more money. And we arrange our entire lives based upon money. This pursuit of money drives and guides us and guides so many of our decisions. Just to really think about, contemplate your own life for a moment. Think about all those good decisions and all those bad decisions and, and just how money has affected why you do what you do. Why your schedule is the way it is. And, and, and instead of running our money, we get, get to the point where we allow money to run us. But have you considered what God says about money rather than what the world says about money? You know, it's been said that Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven or hell. So there must be something important when it comes to understanding God's purposes for money. Some of the questions I, I want you to be thinking about as we, even, we go through uh, the various texts of Scripture is, what is God's purpose for money? What's his purpose for it in the first place? Uh, does God want you to be rich? Does God want you to be poor? What does God want you to do with your possessions? Does God want you to have your best life now? But you know what? There's there's good news because God has the answers to all these questions. We see and we often bring up in 2 Peter 1 and 3 that God has given us every single thing we need for life and godliness. God has given us what we need in and through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reminds us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is our foundation. We need God's word. John 17, 17 reminds us that if we're looking for truth, Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Isaiah 40 and 8 reminds us that when everything else fails, the, the grass may wither and the flowers may fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Beloved, if we are, are uh, hope to, to understand any of the questions in life, whether it's money, relationships, or whatnot, we have to submit and surrender ourselves to the authority of God's word to the authority of Scripture. You can't just keep living how you want to live and expect God to be in the mix. As we seek to be faithful to what God says about the subject of, the subject of money, wealth, and possessions, we must first honor the authority of Scripture in and over our lives. So let's be honest. Money is important, isn't it? It's important. When, it, when I refer to money, I, I'm primarily referring to, to wealth, possessions, land, abundance. Those, 
those things that we're able to gather, those material goods that, that we're able to gather to use. So, so why is money really so important? Money is so important because it provides a medium of exchange, right? See, back in the day when you would barter, your ability to, to gain possessions, to gain wealth, was dependent upon the other person needing what you needed, what you had. So if I had a gallon of milk, but you really only needed a carton of eggs, I can't, I can't swap nothing with you. I, 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 won't, I won't increase in my wealth because I didn't have what you need. But then along comes money, and now we have this tool that we can exchange for goods. I, I may want your eggs, and you may want my milk, but, but, but we're able to swap this money, this tool, to exchange what we had. Wayne Grudem, he, 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 when, in talking about money, he says, money is the one thing that everybody is willing to trade goods for. Money enables all of mankind to be productive, more so than just bartering, as I was speaking of. Yet God has a particular purpose and proper place for wealth and possessions in our lives. So what does God say about money? Well, if, if we just look at the, entire, uh, the entirety of the Bible, in the Old Testament, God has an emphasis on the, the goodness of wealth and God's desire to bless his people. And they, in turn, would, would, would bless all the peoples of the world but, uh, through their blessing, and they would be a symbol, a sign of God's blessing. That's, that's how we see money and wealth and possessions uh, being pointed to and used in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the law, it, 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 placed, it placed restrictions on, on the use of material resources and the accumulation of wealth. God, God was doing something to, uh, through wealth to show the people what it looks like to have his heart. During the monarchy, we see that there's a concentration of wealth now. When the kings come, they begin to gather up all the wealth to themselves, and, and the gap between the have and the have, no, have not uh, begins to grow. This is why Israel begins to have all the problems that they do, because they're not taking care of the marginalized and the oppressed, the less than. They, they, they're only concerned about themselves. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see this certain tension between two contrasting themes, this, this, where wealth is this reward for faithfulness, we see that in the Old Testament a lot, because it is. But then also we see these warnings against uh, wicked uh, and ill-gotten gain. Those are storing up treasures for themselves. That narrative, it, it moves into the New Testament, and all of those principles are carried over. However, in the New Testament, material wealth is, is not promised as a guarantee a guaranteed reward for spiritual obedience or hard work. You hear that? See, in America, America tells you you just need to work hard and you'll have everything you need. But the Bible doesn't promise that. We still need to work hard, but it doesn't promise that we'll be rich. In the New Testament, God's people will one day enjoy all the literal blessings of the land extended to encompass the entire earth and eventually a redeemed cosmos. God is working on something bigger than just your bank account. 
God is working on something bigger than just your job. God is working on something bigger than just your family. He's, he's working on something bigger than your 401k. He's working on redeeming the entire cosmos. And we get to be a part of that. This is what the New Testament is showing us of what's really, what's really important. What really should matter in our life? In the New Testament, we, we see this communal care and generosity that we should meet the needs of one another from within the local church. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, the second chapter. In Acts, the second chapter, we have this, this commitment to communal care. Though this text is not prescriptive, it is descriptive of what happens when God gets a hold of your heart and a hold of your possessions. In verse 42 of the second chapter of Acts, the Word of God begins to read, and it's talking about how all of these believers, they're, they're coming to Christ, they're, the gospel is beginning to invade their ranks, and it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all, watch this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad. Uh, with glad and generous hearts. What, what's taking place in the New Testament is that God has invaded the hearts of these new believers to the point, not that they had to sell everything and share everything. He's not talking about a quote-unquote socialist government. Well, that, that seems to be the, the big bad demon these days, a socialist government where everyone is equal, you share all things. No, he's talking about where I see your need and you see my need, and I'm willing to, to let go of what I have in order to make sure you get what you need. He's talking about a heart posture has overcome these people where, where I'm, not, I'm not, because I trust God, I'm not worried about stacking up cash in my bank account while I'm watching someone else starve on the street. As a matter of fact, he, they're talking about the local body of Christ. I'm not worried about having my own and keeping my own, having my shoes and my boots and my house while somebody within the body of Christ is struggling to put food on their table. This is how God feels about money. Money is just the tool that God has given so we can be a blessing to other people. My thesis was God has given material possessions to supply our needs, share his glory, and show the need for Jesus to invade our hearts. God has given material possessions to supply our sustenance, share his glory, and show the need for Jesus to invade our hearts. Wealth and possessions are our means of provision. God gives us money to take care of our needs. 
But we work in three, four, five, six jobs because we need to take care of our wants. Wealth and possessions point us to the provider. It's calling us to worship the creator and not the creation. Wealth and possessions serve a spiritual purpose. Because really, if you really want to know who you serve, check your bank account. Check your statement. Where's all your money going to? Who, who, who are you investing your, your money with? That, 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 that lets you know what's really going on in your heart. How generous are you with other people? Firstly, let me walk through this quickly. God has given material possessions to supply our sustenance. In the beginning, in creation, God, he, 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 he speaks and everything comes into existence. He has this beautiful portrait of creation. He, he begins to, uh, to have the, the sky and, 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 and then he begins to, to work on the, the earth and, and all of creation. He raises up bushes and he, has, he separates the, the waters uh, from the sky, and he creates, he creates all this container, and then he begins to fill up this, this container with all these attributes. He, he throws in the sun, the moon, and the stars. He, 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 he places birds in the air, fish in the sea, and then he gets to the pinnacle of creation, and he puts man there. And before the fall, he gives man the job to work. Did you know, yes, we, think, we think having a job is evil. It must be because of sin that I got to work. No, work was before the fall. But the reason why it's so difficult is because of sin. So, so God is, he creates this good world filled with abundance, and he places man in the middle, his image bearers. In the beginning, man would willingly and happily work to continue the provision of his need. He says, Adam, you have dominion over everything, and you work this land. Why? Why is he working the land? So that his needs would continually be met. In the beginning, before sin entered into creation, we were created with material needs. But in the beginning, God was the source of satisfaction for every single need we had. Every single need we had, God met. In Genesis 1 and, and, and 2, we, we see how, how God, God is telling man, I, 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 I want you to, to till and to work, and you can have of all the trees, and you can have this, and you can have that. God is meeting every single need that the man has. Our needs included food and water. God says you can eat of this tree. Just don't eat of this tree. The Bible said that, Adam, it was not good for him to be alone. He needed companionship. And what does God do? He puts him to sleep, and, and, and then he creates Eve from the, from the man, and he gives him companionship. He's meeting that need for companionship. All throughout Genesis, the first two chapters, God is meeting every single need that we have. So we see that material possessions, and we see this all throughout Scripture, but, but this is the beginning. In Genesis, we see this played out. God has given material possessions to supply our sustenance. But then secondly, God has given material possessions to share his glory. Turn with me to Genesis, the 12th chapter. 
God is doing something through Abraham to create a nation, and he, he wants Abraham to be a witness to his glory and to make much of him that the nations will come to know the Creator through Abraham and his seed. So he, he makes a covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3, it reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will bless you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Why? Why am I going to bless you, Abram? A- Abram, why? Well, why I'm going to make your name great? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why is God blessing Abraham? So that his glory would shine brightly through him, and that other nations would be blessed by the witness of, of, of God in his life. Beloved, why, why, why does God bless you? It's not just because he, just, just because he likes you and he, he wants you to have a whole lot of fancy things. He wants to bless, he blesses us so we may be a blessing to other people and that we won't get the glory, but that God will get the glory. See, let, let, me, let me make it plain. See, during Christmas time, it's not about God, it's about us. It's about our glory. We go broke, we go in debt, we, we spend money we ain't got to buy gifts. Why? Because we want people to give us glory. You know how it is. You get, now, you've been thinking about this gift, you done spent a couple hundred dollars on this gift, and you give that gift to somebody, and they don't even open it. How do you act? Ugh. Don't they know? That's a month, that, that's a week's worth of pay. No, they don't know. They ain't asked for that. You trying to get glory from them. We keep, we function in a way that we want glory. But God says, no, your money is not so you can get the glory. I give you blessings so that you can bless other people. And when they say thank you, you can say, don't thank me, but praise my God. God wants to share his glory through his people. In the law given to Israel on Sinai, built into the law is, is, is what could be called a sense of redeemed economics. Because God, he specifically puts in laws and restrictions and restraints on how we possess money that would, that would set apart Israel from every other nation. It was in Israel that every, uh, every seven years, they would, they would stop the work, and, 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 and instead of trying to get everything they can from the land, they would rest from, from, from the land and, 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 and live on the blessings that God had already given instead of trying to fill up all that they could. This is even pointed to in the day of Jubilee. The seven cycles of seven, where on the day of Jubilee, every single debt was canceled. Land and property was restored to who they belonged to. What, what would it look like if we had redeemed 
economics. Like every, 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 every so few years, everything is restored to how it's supposed to be. God implemented that in the law to keep people from, from, from accumulating too much wealth and from other people had living under the weight and the burden of economic poverty. God's saying, I, I don't care how much money you, you done stacked up. I want you to live in a way that, that, that gives justice and equity because justice and equity is foreign to the human condition. And when people look at you and say, why are you doing that? You can say, because, God's, because God wants us to. He wants to share his glory. In the New Testament, we see the results of this new way of living. Go back to Acts, the second chapter. And look with me at, at verse 47. The, the apostles been teaching and preaching. People been coming to faith. They're being transformed from the inside out, not from the uh, outside in. They're, 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 they're doing things new because of what God has done in their lives. And because of their witness to the world, in verse 47, after all that they were sharing and making sure people's needs were met, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Don't you know that God wants to use you as a witness to be a blessing? And, and, and when God uses his people to be a witness and a blessing, other people come to know Jesus? Has, has anyone come to know Jesus because of your witness? Has anyone ever uh, uh, trusted in Christ because of your life? I'm not saying just tell them to go to church and talk to the pastor. I'm saying that your life is so radical that they don't understand why you live how you live, and then you can point them to your Savior and say, this is why I live how I live. God has given material possessions to share his glory, but finally, God has given material possessions to show the need for Jesus to invade our hearts. See, money is that tangible thing that reveals our selfishness. Money is that is that tangible thing that, that shows how stingy we really are. Money is that tangible thing that shows who we're really thinking about, who our best interest is that we have in heart. Because in the New Testament, there's that shift in, in focusing on wealth and possessions from an external witness to an inward transformation of the heart. This is, why Jesus is, 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 this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Turn with me. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Beginning with verse 19, he's talk, Jesus is talking about a, a heart posture that's been changed. And he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Stop, stop, stop chasing that money. Stop, stop trying to be a part of all those get-rich-quick schemes. You got that email. Let me go ahead and tell you now. People won't give you something for nothing. 
So don't reply to that king in Nigeria who's trying to transfer you some money in your bank account. These get-rich-quick schemes. Don't, don't be worried about your, your hustle, then your sad hustle, and then your sad, sad hustle. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What is Jesus saying? What's your greatest priority? Is it him or money? Because when your greatest priority is Jesus, it changes your perspective and everything. This is a heart change. This is why the disciples had such a hard time in Luke 18 when the rich young ruler came. And the rich young ruler, uh, and, and according to everyone else, it, it would seem like he had everything together and that he was blessed of the Lord. He was rich. He had, he had renown. But he comes to Jesus, and Jesus knows his heart, and he says, sell everything you have. And the text says he goes away sad because he had much. And then Jesus says it is hard for the, it's harder for the, the rich to enter the kingdom of God than a, a, a camel to go through an eye of the needle. And, and, and what happens? In the story, that, it, that blows the disciples' mind because they're in a culture that says if you're blessed, if you have a lot of, of, of material possessions, that must mean you're close to the Lord. That must mean that God is really evident in your life. And Jesus is saying, it's, uh, money has nothing to do with how close you are to the Lord, but, but, but your willingness to sacrifice from, for me means everything. It blows their mind. On the outside, it seemed like he had it together, but on the inside, he didn't. God has given material possessions to show the need for Jesus to invade our hearts. Beloved, your greatest need is not money. Your greatest need is salvation. Sin has perverted how we respond to God's gift of wealth and possessions. In the garden in Genesis 3, after the fall, we no longer see full acceptance of God's good gifts, but we see further abuses of God's good gifts. All throughout Scripture, at the flood, instead of having hearts that are are, are pointing towards God, the text says, and their hearts were always set on evil and wickedness. In the Tower of Babel, they're, they're, God has given them the ability to create cities, but uh, instead of honoring God with their city, they said, we're going to build this city, and, and it's going to be a monument to us in our name and our renown. We see that when King Saul and King David and King Solomon uh, comes around, and the, 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 the people are crying out for a king, and, and, and Samuel tries to warn them. He says, but when you have a king, they're going to take your chariots. They're going to take your daughters. They're going to take your sons. They're going to take your land. They're going to take your wealth. And they say, well, we want it anyway. Sin distorts God's good purposes. And in the New Testament, 
Romans 1 reminds us that we have a, a, a desire uh, more for the gift than the giver. And lastly, turn with me to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. First Timothy, the sixth chapter. Listen to these words of Jesus in verses 3 through 10. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That teaching the Word of God is just a means of gain. But he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. If I can't take anything out of the world, why am I living for all the possessions of this world? I can't take it with me, but I'm investing 15, 18, 20 hours in work because I just want money, and I want to spend, and I want cars, and I want houses, but you can't take it with you. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. How many times people have walked away from God because they think they're not getting what they should receive from God? And notice in the text, it doesn't say money money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When you love money more than God, you're headed for disaster. Some conclusions. Material possessions are a good gift from God meant for his people to enjoy. Material possessions are simultaneously one of the primary means of turning human hearts away from God. Well, you know, I got this job, and uh, I I, I can't come to church anymore. I can't go to Bible study anymore. I'm so busy. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. Are you praying that the Lord will open up an opportunity for you to get out of that job and get into a new one that's going to allow you to be with the saints? A necessary sign of a life in the process of being redeemed is that of transformation in the area of stewardship. Has God not only transformed your mind and your heart, has he transformed your wallet? Are you still buying the same old stuff you used to buy for yourself? Some ultimate conclusions. The Bible's teaching about material possessions is is, uh, inextricably intertwined with more spiritual matters. 
Any gospel that is not focused on the eternal Messiah, Christ Jesus, is a less than gospel and ultimately not good news at all. If, if it's a gospel that, that, that prioritizes money, that is a less than gospel because money can never be your salvation. Not only that, any gospel not centered on Jesus is predatory and ill-equipped for real life. If, 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 if the gospel is you should be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous every day of your life, but you walking around and your life is not healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, you look to yourself as something must be wrong with me, God must hate me, and then the people who are preaching that message, they're the ones getting rich. It's predatory. God has called us to be generous conduits of his grace not embankments holding back his glory. In Psalm 67, you don't have to turn there, verses 1 and 2 reminds us of this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth and your saving power to all nations. Are you using your blessings for the glory of Christ? Or are you hoarding everything for yourself? God is not a genie here to fulfill our every demand. What is God's purpose for your wealth and possessions? Does God want you to be rich? Does God want you to be poor? What does God want you to do with your possessions? Does God want you to really have your best life now? Beloved, if, if your greatest pursuit in life are riches, then who really is your God? You need to repent today. Confess to Jesus that, Lord, I'm sorry that I've put everything above you. I've put money above you. I've put my work above you. I've put my spouse above you. I've put fun and pleasure above you. Please forgive me. Please save me. And please transform me that I may love you. Jesus Christ alone sets you free from your sinful idolatry of money. Our greatest need is not money. Our greatest need is salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. You have given us means and tools to supply our needs and to show off your glory. And to remind us that we have wicked hearts that need to be transformed. And Father, today I, I pray that we will have a, a, just a different perspective of how we use our money. Or how we pursue money. That we would not be caught up in a prosperity gospel. Thinking that we are only blessed by you when we have a lot. But Father, I thank you for Christians like those in Zimbabwe. Who though they have nothing they still have Jesus as their greatest treasure. Father, help us to be more like that, that we're willing to let everything go for the sake of Christ Jesus. Help us to be refocused. Help us to be thoughtful on how we should live for you in this sinful and broken world. And Father, for the one who has been using money for their own personal pleasures and not for your glory, Father, I ask that they would repent, that they would see the brokenness of their sin and situation, and that they will seek satisfaction in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior through the power of your gospel, through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
that they would turn and pursue you with their, with their whole heart. Lord, we love you and we thank you. May you continue to glorify yourself in this worship service. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.